0: Welcome to Grant Seeker Coffee Talks, a podcast for nonprofits to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're hearing from Ephraim Gopin. Ephraim is the founder of 1832 Communications. He has a podcast of his own called Your Weekly Dose of Nonprofit, and he publishes a nonprofit newsletter. Over the last two decades, Ephraim has worn all of the nonprofit hats, He's been CEO, fundraiser, event organizer, alumni director, grant writer, marketing director, and more. Ephraim has also served as global communications director for an international family foundation, so he's had the chance of seeing how things look from the other side of the table as well. Today, Tammy Tilsey sits down with Ephraim to discuss the topic of employee giving. Ephraim has a new book on the subject titled Employee Giving, Does Charity Begin in the Office? Links to this ebook and all the other resources mentioned can be found in the episode notes. All right, let's dive right in. Here's Tammy.
1: Hello, Ephraim. We are excited to have you today as our guest on our nonprofit Coffee Talk. Thank you for joining us. We have recently published a few blog articles you wrote for our nonprofit and grant seeker audiences. Did I tell you already how much I love your writing style? You communicate important information and advice, but you are so talented at educating with humor. You barely know what's happening. (laughs) And your daily newsletter, you help me start each day with a smile on my face. I must say, thank you for sharing your talents with us. And uh, speaking of publications, you recently came out with a new ebook on employee giving. What made you decide to dig in and explore this issue?
2: So first of all, thank you very much for the warm introduction. I'm really excited to be here with you on Coffee Talk and to talk employee giving. So the truth is that throughout my professional career, uh, I've been a big fan of the hashtag Always Be Learning, and I like to dive into new things and you know learn learn new stuff about the nonprofit sector, especially if it's an area that I'm not proficient in. And so let's learn, let's see what's out there and. Late November 2018, as many modern day stories go, I sent out a tweet, a tweet that I thought would just be a simple, innocent tweet. And I asked current nonprofit uh, employees and consultants, I said, Do you or have you in the past donated to the organization you worked for? And it was just a tweet, and I expected I'll get a couple of replies. I got way more replies than I expected. And the results of that tweet were completely the opposite of what I had anticipated. Um, I had anticipated that most people do not donate back to their organizations. Being perfectly honest, I never did. And I myself was a CEO and I never donated financially to any of the places I worked. I gave my time, my blood, my sweat, my tears over time like a ridiculous amount, but I never donated financially. So that was the end of November and that conversation carried into Through December of 2018, I was constantly getting um, uh, comments from people and replies talking to me. I said, okay, this is interesting. Towards mid-January, Vule, who is a nonprofit expert, posted a uh, blog post. He is adamantly against any form of employee-giving campaigns. He is in the hell no, as I call it, that camp. And he... Expanded on his on his um, views and why, and he gave a whole bunch of reasons. He listed reasons why he's against it. And I oh okay, you know this is interesting. Nine days later, uh, nonprofit authority Claire Axelrad responded in a blog post to his no, and she kind of explained showed why his reasons. I don't want to say we're wrong, but she's on the other side of things, and she is very oh hell yes. In terms of employee giving campaigns. And so she wrote a piece and explained, she answered all of Vu's reasons and she explained why you should, why donors, why employees should be asked to be donors. And so here I suddenly said, oh, well, you know, this is like, you know, the stars have aligned um, and maybe it was, you know, Mercury was in retrograde or something. I don't know, but the skies opened up and said, hey, there's something here. So, you know, I've got this tweet and I had 50, 60 replies from different people all over the world. Now I've got these two blog posts, do something. And so I kind of decided, all right, I'm digging in, exploring this issue. It did take me 10 months to put together um, a survey, which I did. And in December, 2019, I launched a survey um, via Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, through my network. I asked people to fill it in and ask them to pass it out. I'll say straight up, it was not a scientific study. This is more just a survey to gather data, engage uh, attitudes, measure attitudes towards employee giving, and based on that, uh, on that research data, I wrote my uh, I wrote the ebook, which expanded on the entire topic from most of every everything in between A to Z, and then a little bit more than that. Excellent!
1: I love that background. Um... When you dug into it, what did you find to be the reasons why people oppose employee-giving programs?
2: Oh, they're very loud and vocal about their uh, opposition to employee-giving campaigns. There's a lot of reasons. I'll dive into a couple of them. Um, the first issue is who it affects. A lot of workers, will, you know, we'll start with the statistics and the data. Uh, workers and the employees in the nonprofit field are making in general about a quarter to a third less than the for-profit sector. That's for starters. Women are making 27% less than their male counterparts. So you already have this disadvantage uh, within our sector, salary-wise. You have a very large swath of the employee, uh, of the nonprofit employee population who are low income. And so it disproportionately affects them. If you're asking employees to give, odds are you are asking people who are making minimum wage, maybe even less, and don't have the income to be able to donate to such a campaign. And you're basically saying everybody gives, you know, or everybody around you is giving. What's $5 for you and I might not be the biggest deal, but for a lot of people, $5 could be a big deal. So that was the first reason is that it affects your workers, when I looked at it, I kind of said, you're turning your employees into constituents. And that's the last thing you want to do. Okay. You know, it's bad enough we pay low salaries. The last thing we want is for our employers, employees to have to turn around and ask for our services as a nonprofit organization. That was the first one. The second one is the issue of pressure to give. Now, philanthropy is supposed to be something that you enjoy, that you want to do. With employee giving campaigns. There's this um, feeling of there's pressure to give on all the employees. And that kind of starts because a lot of times it's the CEO or a senior manager making that ask. And that's very problematic. How can you say no to somebody who signs your paycheck, signs your evaluation, your performance and your valuations, and who, you know, he's, he or she is the one who determines whether you still have a job tomorrow or not. Saying no to that person is really, really tough to say the least. So there's this pressure to give, which leads to the next reason, which is the issue of power dynamic. And this idea of somebody at the top is standing on top of you and telling you what to do. And you need to give to this campaign. And because of that, this creates this power imbalance within the office setting. Now, for starters, I challenge, honestly, everybody who's listening to this Coffee Talks right now, can you think, or along your career, in how many places have you worked where there was a culture of transparency, open door, honesty, communications flowing top down and down top? How many places have that kind of a culture? And that's the problem, is I'm sure a lot of you are now rolling your eyes and they're falling out the back of your heads (sighs) Because you can't remember ever working for a place, or maybe you had that one boss you know who was she was so amazing, but every other boss you've had has just been a complete nightmare. So in an employee giving campaign, suddenly you have this pressure to give in this power dynamic that you cannot have. It's an imbalance within the an imbalance within the workforce. a little uh, Star Wars reference there. Um, the last one. The last one is um, this is a tough one for me because I'm not a lawyer, nor do I play one on this podcast or any other podcast. So I'm going to dive into it, but I'm going to give the clarification in advance for both myself <laughs> and for you know everybody involved with this uh, with this podcast. This is not advice that would stand up in court. The most oft cited reason for people who are against employee giving is the issue of a hostile work environment. This idea that the power imbalance, the pressure to give, the work environment becomes hostile. I spoke to lawyers when this started coming up, and I said, what do I, how do I discuss this? And they were very clear to me. Hostile work environment isn't just something we discuss, it's a legal term. And for, it is not clear that if a CEO says to employees, you have to give to an employee giving to campaign that rises to the legal level of a hostile work environment. So if you've been asked by your boss or told you must give and you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna sue the pants off of them for creating a hostile work environment, please, please speak to a lawyer. It may not rise to that level. So although hostile work environment is an issue in the nonprofit sector, as it is in the business sector, But again, I go back to what I said a couple of minutes ago. How many places have we worked in that was this open, wonderful, you know, kumbaya type of atmosphere? Very few of us. So hostile work environment is unfortunately a lot more common than it should be in our sector. But again, in this case of employee giving, I can't say that telling your employees they have to give rises to the legal level of a hostile work environment. Having said that, if you have a boss who's creating a hostile work environment, that boss must be let go, full stop, or changed, or change their tune, or whatever it is. But if a boss is creating a hostile work environment, that has to stop immediately, legal or not.
1: Great. Wow, so many reasons to to be cautious with this. But yet, in your research, I see that plenty of people support employee-giving campaigns. What's their reasoning? Those who support
2: employee-giving campaigns are just as vocal, just as vociferous, and just as uh, determined that their opinion is correct. And they will put that stake in the ground just as loud as the no camp. So we can start that there's this issue of talk the talk, walk the walk. We're going on and we're asking people to donate money. How are we making an ask without being donors ourselves? And that's a major issue. Uh, We can get into board giving later. But right now, in terms of fundraisers, it was an issue that I heard of from fundraiser after fundraiser. I didn't just do a a survey where I had almost 600 respondents. I did follow-up interviews with 10% of survey respondents to get more nuanced answers and more deeper explanations on why they felt the way they felt. And this walk the walk definitely came up numerous times, that if we're going to be asking other people to give, we should be givers ourselves. It allows for some kind of joint experience, a shared story that we have with the donor. And then you can basically say to the donor, I'm not just an employee, I'm also a donor. OK, I, well, I remember what it was. It's the hair care product. I'm not just the president. I'm also a user. So, you know, in this case, I'm not, just, I'm not just, a, I'm just a fundraiser. I'm also a donor. So Walk the Walk was a big one. The most offsided reason, though, was the issue of the joy of philanthropy and the joy of giving. And every single person deserves the opportunity to give and to feel that joy of giving. When we say employees can't give, we are taking away from them the right to choose, number one. Number two, we're taking away that right to give and to feel that sense of giving. At the end of the day, you don't ask your employees. You are now being less diverse. You have a less diverse and less inclusive donor set. You are basically saying that only people of means or people who don't work here, they can give. But you, we don't want your money every single person can donate towards mission impact. And there's no reason employees shouldn't be able to do that, especially since they're the ones on the ground who see the impact 24 seven. They're not like a donor who hears from you. I hope they hear from you, but donors that hear from you every now and then or whenever it is, these are people who live and breathe the mission every single day. And they don't miss a day in the nonprofit world. There is no such thing as missing a day. And therefore, why shouldn't they participate in mission impact? Why shouldn't they be a giver, even if it's a dollar? It doesn't matter the amount. They should be able to give and be part of the act of philanthropy. It's as if we're saying uh, you can give, but to other nonprofits in the city or community or wherever, but just don't give to us. Why? What if there's a you work for a homeless shelter and there's another homeless shelter locally, you? What are you telling your employees? Don't give to us, give to somebody, you know, give to the other. I'm not saying it's competition. They can give to both. But my point is, is, you know, start here. You know, we kind of say charity starts in the home. So you start with the home base, with the home team. Ask employees to be donors. Ask them to participate in giving and let them make the decision on their own. Can I be a donor? Will I be a donor? How much can I give or I can't give right now? Whatever that choice is, give it to them and put the power in their hands. Don't take all the power uh, away from them, because, again, giving is for everyone, not just for people of means. And so even if you are talking about your workers who are only making minimum wage, there's no reason not to ask them. (laughs)
1: Wow. Just between the last two points you made, it sounds like everyone didn't agree and I'm like following you along too. I think this and now I think that. I hate it when that happens. Uh, But in your ebook, you say employee giving is a complicated issue and I can see that it is. But what makes it complicated and different than other forms of fundraising?
2: Um, I'll start with the overworked underpaid and underappreciated nature of employee of employees in the nonprofit sector. There was a kind of attitude from some of the respondents and some of the, you know, I got this through the survey also of double dipping. I'm working in the nonprofit sector, so I'm making way less than I could in the for-profit sector. And now you're going to take a portion of my paycheck away from me when I can't afford it. And that's what makes it uh, a lot more complicated in terms of, You're making the ask of. You're not asking people who are making, in general, high salaries. Okay, so that was a complicating issue. The second thing is it's complicated to ask people you work with to donate. You know, if you ask fundraisers, some fundraisers love it. You know, for other fundraisers, the ask is very, very difficult. And that's from a stranger or somebody you built a relationship with. In employee giving, you're talking about asking the person who sits in the cubicle or at the desk next to you the person that you run programs with, the person you text with literally 27 times a day because there's so much work that has to get done. And now to ask them, it gets a little bit uncomfortable uh, and that makes it a complicated issue, which goes back to what we discussed earlier about the power dynamic, uh, you know, the pressure to give. That's not, you do not want somebody above you on the hierarchy chart to be the one asking. You want it somebody who's your peer. And that's the way you should do it that's the best way to do it. The last thing that complicates the issue is something I learned from my father. I learned a lot of things from my dad, but he drilled into me at a very young age: never judge what's in somebody else's wallet. And it means that you know there's the ter- there's the phrase you never know what goes on behind closed doors. We could say, well, they're the CEO, they drive a nice car. If we're going to do an employee giving campaign they should be giving X, and you automatically decide what they should be giving in advance. The deal is you don't know what's going on in that person's life. That person could be dealing with elderly parents and high medical bills, could have a child at home whose insurance, you know, the insurance doesn't cover all their medical expenses. Could be somebody going through a divorce, an expensive divorce, or putting a child through university, which as we know is extremely expensive. To judge what somebody else could give is problematic, and in an employee giving campaign, there becomes this expectation that certain people will give X and certain people will give Y and certain people will give Z. And that is to be avoided at all costs. Because again, you just, you just don't know. And I can tell you an anecdote from somebody I spoke to who asked to be quoted anonymously. And they told me that at their former job, they were told after they were hired a long time after they were hired, meaning within their first year, but it wasn't anywhere close to when they were hired End of year was approaching, and they were told you need to give a donation, your senior management. And the person said, okay, how much do I have to give? And the answer was enough to have skin in the game. I don't know what that means. That person did not know what that means. That meant they were guessing. When you have to guess like that, and it's your job potentially on the line, you're going to guess on the higher end of things. And they probably gave a donation that was way out of their league in terms of how much they could afford. And now, of course, the nonprofit sees that and goes, oh, next year, guess what? We want that plus 10%. And so every year, it just goes up and up. That's what makes this a complicated issue, is you have to be smart about how you're asking. And you can't just make assumptions about what people can and can't afford. We've all read the story about somebody who we thought for their lifetime was poor, and then they passed away. And it turns out they left $5 million in their will to nonprofit X, right? You just don't know. So don't judge. Don't assume.
1: I love that. That's such great advice. When I read the section where you dug into giving by the board and senior level employees, that made sense to me. Uh, But what did your research show? Should they be giving whether or not employees give?
2: So this was one of the mistakes I made within the survey itself is that I asked two different questions when I should have been asking the exact same question. Uh, hence why I said it's not a scientific data. There were uh, little mistakes I made along in the survey itself. But uh, I asked two separate questions and I'll give you the data. First thing I said is, should board members be giving whether employees do or not? 91% of respondents said yes. Giving starts at the top, full stop. That was a clear cut what I saw from the data when it came to senior management. I asked a bit of a different question, and I said, "If there's an employee giving campaign, should senior management give before everyone else and in that case eighty three and a half percent said yes, senior managers should be expected to give at the start of an employee giving campaign. I want to expand a little bit on what the problem is with both of those in terms of um in terms of board members, I just, I'm sorry, in terms of senior managers, I just discussed the issue of expectations. Don't look in their wallet. But I wanna talk about the board for a second because this affects every single nonprofit. If your whole thing about your board is to have people of means, you are cutting out tons of people who could be extremely helpful, people who have expertise in the field but don't have money to give. You are not being inclusive and you're not being diverse on your board. What if I knew a field expert who was a world-renowned name in your sector, and they were willing to join the board? But your board has a give or get, and what are you going to do? They don't have $25,000 to drop, even if it's over a year or whatever it is. They don't have that kind of money. Are you now going to say don't put them on the board because they don't have the money? That's ridiculous. And that's what kind of came out after the survey when I was talking to people. This started to come out more and more about board giving is that don't just because somebody has money doesn't mean they should be on the board. And just because somebody doesn't have money doesn't mean they shouldn't be on the board. And the other example I will give is from um, a colleague of mine by the name of Kirsty Marins. She lives in the UK. She wrote a wonderful article for Third Sector UK about nonprofits in the UK that have service recipients on their boards. Because who better to tell you about the needs of the community than those people who actually need those services. And so those people can't go out and get money. They don't have money themselves, but they're on the board because they bring this expertise in the field and they will help your nonprofit be much better at programming and the services you provide. So if your attitude is nonprofits should only have, you know, all board members have to give, then service recipients aren't giving because they don't have money. Now you don't have them on the board. You're missing out. And that's the issue with. Uh, in terms of the board and whether there should be a black and white give or get, the answer is no. It's a lot more nuanced than that.
1: I see that. And like you said, you already talked about senior management and and how not looking in their wallet could be an issue there. So it is definitely complicated. (laughs) Well, you know at Foundant, we create solutions for grant makers and grant seekers uh, to help them manage your grant process. So I'm particularly interested in what you discovered on how board and employee giving is some is, is related or connected to giving by foundation.
2: So here I'd like to quote from our friend Diane Leonard, who is the president of DH Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Uh, in a follow-up interview I had with her, she told me, she estimates that 50% of foundation applications are asking about board giving. One out of every two applications that you're, you know, you as a grant writer or a fundraiser are filling out, there's a question there, do your board members give money? So A, going back to my last question, that's a problem from the foundation side. Foundations should word it differently because not every board member can give. But number two, if you have board members who aren't givers or your entire board isn't giving or, you know, whatever that is, you could be jeopardizing funding from a foundation. They might say to you, if the board's not giving and they, the board who's invested in the well-being and fiduciary responsibility and everything else of your nonprofit, they're not givers. How could they not be givers? So that's one area of, you know, where it affects uh, grants and applications from foundations. The second one that Diane told me was very interesting to me. She said that only 10% of applications ask about employee giving. They want to know are employees also donors? And you can look at that two ways. No, it's only 10%. So, not a big deal if we don't have employee givers. However, that set off some bells in my head. Wait a second. Foundations are asking about that. And now I want to know why. What's in why are foundations interested? Are employees givers or not? Do the foundations assume that if employees aren't giving, they're not invested 24/7 in the mission? Are foundations making other assumptions or do they just want to know do employees give? Are they are they givers? It's a, you know, it's an innocent question. I don't know the answer. But Diane said it was 10% of applications. I'm going to be looking in the future to see does that number go up or does that number stay at 10%? I'm curious to see if more foundations Will want to know about employee giving. Certainly, board giving is on the table. If you're filling out a grant application, employee giving—I want to see where that uh, where that heads uh, in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah. What the trend is there? Thank you. Um, your ebook provides a great list of guidance. That's another thing I love about it, discussing the pros and cons and both sides. But you also give guidance of if this is something you're going to do, make sure you do these things, uh, as well as a list of make sure you don't do these things. Of, of those lists, what are one or two points that you think are like key to drive home? So I've already mentioned
2: the fact that it should be peer-to-peer and not coming from a boss. The second thing is, I've kind of touched on it, but it should be voluntary. There's no mandatory ask here. The most important thing, and this goes straight to the heart of fundraising, an employee-giving campaign is no different than a fundraising campaign you do for donors. I don't like the attitude of, well, they're employees, so we don't have to treat them like donors. Just the opposite. They are employees who are making less money, and they are working for you and not getting paid for overtime if they're donating you better treat them twice as nicely as you treat your donors and that's assuming you treat your current donors nicely to start with so and i already know that well you know that doesn't work doesn't work that way in every single organization that they you know there's a lot of uh, hit and run you give a donation you get a thank you letter and then you don't hear from them again until they ask uh, again so in terms of an employee giving campaign treat it like a good a fundraising campaign that's based on best practices that means personalize all your communications you know the names of your employees there's no guesses here segment like you would segment your major donors from your monthly donors from your annual donors right do the same here you have new workers who may not know a lot about the mission so the communications you send them will be different than your you know employees who've been there for 10 years or longer give them a choice of what to give to don't just say You're giving to this. Just like you would do for a regular donor, give them a choice of whatever they wanna give to. And they will give, they'll make a choice on their own. In terms of what happens after they donate, proper gratitude, people. The same as you should be doing for your donors, letters that are heartwarming, warm, emotional, tell the story of one is what I call it, where you tell them the problem they solved by giving a donation and you specify you helped this person do why, or whatever the issue is uh, that you, you know, that's your mission. Um, And certainly besides gratitude is impact reporting. Just because your donor, your your employee happens to be a donor and they work in the office doesn't mean you shouldn't continue telling them about the impact their donation made throughout the year.
1: Great. After all this research, and good points on both sides. I'm very curious. What are your personal views on the topic of employee giving now?
2: So I opened up by saying that I was, a, I was against it. I never gave. Yeah. I would say that my, um, my view on it has evolved. I am more to the pro side, but again, not in, not hundred percent in, because there are factors which have to be taken into account as to whether you should run it or not. Um, Especially the culture within the organization is extremely important. And because of that, I could be pro, but if an organization called me, there's a lot of questions I'm going to ask in advance before I make a determination you should or should not. Um, That's kind of, so I went from the no, I went from the oh hell no to the yes, but camp. I'm not in the oh hell yes camp just yet.
1: Okay. Okay. (laughs) And on this podcast and in your ebook, you mentioned some things that you would do differently if you were to do the research or the survey again, are you planning to do a follow-up of this study?
2: The answer is yes. I would love to. The issue is, uh, time. I did this all on my own. Now I did have a couple of people who are very kind to me in advance, my friend Nidra and, uh, my friend Clay and, uh, Charian, who all gave me time to review the review the survey or review the first draft of the ebook, stuff like that. But I cannot tell you how many hours I spent of personal time between the survey and then putting the ebook together, then the design and publishing and everything else. I think if I was going to do it, I would partner. I would find a partner because I have ideas of what needs to be researched next, and I would work with a partner. But I absolutely one hundred percent would love to do a follow up to the study.
1: That sounds like it'll bring out some more interesting insights, and I'm looking forward to it already. <laughs> this has been a very interesting conversation, and we appreciate you sharing your research and findings with us. I want to make sure our listeners know how to find and connect with you directly. So, you can find Ephraim and his ebook at 1832communications.com. 1832communications.com and we'll also put that in the show notes but while you're there make sure you sign up for his daily newsletter as I said it helps me start my day with a smile and and that can only be good for you too so and of course Ephraim is out on social media you can find him in his sense of humor on twitter or linkedin Ephraim, thank you for sharing your humor and research with our listeners today. I have one last question for you. Who is your favorite Looney Tunes character?
2: Tammy, you're killing me. This is like trying to choose which is my favorite child. This is, <laughs> this is as unfair a question, and I'm putting in an official protest on this question. Uh, but if you're going to force my hand, you're a horrible, horrible person, Tammy. Anybody who's listening and just heard that sound bite. No, no, no. She's a wonderful person. I take that back. Um, who is my favorite? I am the hugest Looney Tunes fan. I used to have this massive collection of Looney Tunes paraphernalia, ties, dolls, it, you name it. I had the we had a trivial pursuit uh version of uh Looney Tunes, whatever. I would say like this Do I have a favorite character? Very hard for me to choose one. Um, I'm gonna have to go with two because they are sp- specifically interconnected in my favorite all-time cartoon, Rabbit Season, Duck Season. And therefore, I have to go with Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny. That cartoon will make me laugh out loud. I'm 48 years old now. I can watch it right now. I will start just laughing out loud. It is all those Rabbit Season, Duck Season. So I'm a huge fan of all Looney Tunes. Um, if I really have to really, really enforce to choose, it's, it's those two, but, you know. They're all good. They're all good. They're all funny. They're all wonderful. And they bring back the most warm, fun childhood memories.
1: Excellent. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that as well as all of your other research. We look forward to working with you uh, in the future on more blogs, webinars, and who knows what else. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Take care.
0: Thanks, Tammy. I appreciate it. So that was our conversation. A big thank you to Ephraim for coming on the podcast. Definitely check out his website, 1832communications.com, and his new ebook. Again, the links to those can be found in the episode notes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Found Technologies. So from everyone at Found Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk